Like Roger said, my name is Kendra, and I'm the operations director here at Restore. Corey and I, my husband Corey's in the back, uh, we moved here in 2016 to help plant Restore, and we love living here. I know some of you don't, but if you be our friends, maybe you'll love it more. Um, we're mostly weird, but it's fine. We love living here, uh, mostly because we've gotten to know all of you and gotten to be a part of your families and watch your kids grow up and serve, serve you um, as your church family. And being able to serve alongside of you is really awesome. A few things about me. Some, most of you, I don't know, most, but I've shared a lot about our history before, so I'm going to just share some fun facts today to keep it light. The first thing that's very important for our household's well-being is that I love coffee. Most of the water that I drink comes from the water in my coffee. Um, I'm annoyingly detail-oriented. I pay a lot, of a lot of attention to details, so much that I have dreams about your t-shirt sizes, and there's just a lot of details going on. However, when I get overwhelmed, or when there's too much going on, I will pile it all up and shut the door. Not just figuratively, but our office door is shut all the time because of my piles of things. I love to sleep. I wake up thinking about taking naps, and I structure my day around the possibility of taking a nap. So if you're a parent, I love you because you never get to nap. I'm rigid when it comes to sticking to my plan, how I want my day to go, how I want my week to go, to the point that it makes it, I overreact because I'm, I'm, I want to stick to my plan. However, I'm quite impulsive at times, only at times, not more than that. Example, real life example, a couple Thursdays ago, I left work, I went to Target, to debrief emotionally, if anyone else does that, we can go together. Went to Target, needed a new planter, I needed one thing. I did not go home with a planter, but I went home with a puppy. Not a stuffed puppy, a living, breathing, pooping one. So, there you have it. I'm the best of both worlds, if that's your thing. Lastly, I become very emotionally invested in TV shows and movies to the point that I feel a deep connection to the characters. So much that often I hide my face and my shirt because Corey laughs at me when I cry when people die on Grey's Anatomy. So I don't watch it anymore. <laughs> Things like The Bachelor, don't judge me there either. How I Met Your Mother, I won't watch certain episodes of that. 101 Dalmatians made me very anxious. I'm not joking. I won't watch it again. So I just watch the same shows over and over again. Parks and Recreation, Gilmore Girls, The Office, and The West Wing. If you haven't watched that, you should. I used to hate it. My dad watched it every night, and now it's my favorite show. Something else that's important to know about me is I'm a peacekeeper. I don't like it when people that I care about are arguing. I don't like it when people that I love are hurting or dealing with something difficult. I didn't realize how uncomfortable that made me until I got married. And every now and then, Corey and I disagree on things. Um, 
he's pretty passive, and so he'll just let it go. I don't know how to do that. I just can't. I can, but not in my mind. I'm fighting a war in my mind. So usually arguments happen at bedtime. I don't know, I don't know if, in, if it happens to anybody else, but it's perfect timing. Bedtime, he falls asleep because he's gifted at falling asleep at any time, anywhere. He sleeps very well. But I don't. And so I lay there and psych myself up about the point I need to make to him. So I wake him up. And I keep arguing, all for the sake of like not going to bed angry. But really, it's just because I'm uncomfortable with the tension of unresolved conflict. And so it's not a good feeling. Um, I don't like when I know that something is unresolved. And even if I can't fix it, I feel like I have to do something to fix it. So at home, that looks like intermittent sleep patterns for Corey. I don't like to feel negative emotions, um, sadness, disappointment, betrayal, confusion, embarrassment, anger, guilt, fear, discouragement, being frustrated, being misunderstood. I don't think any of us are lining up to feel those emotions. Something that we're going to talk about this morning is the fact that Jesus did. He lined up and felt all of that. So I'm pretty content with my lack of t-shirt, or not t-shirt preferences. I'm content with that. But I'm content with my TV show preferences. There's a lack of variety. What I'm not content with is how my discomfort and tension and my discomfort and feeling negative things, how that impacts my relationship with God. When I ignore situations where I've been hurt or refuse to process things, when I cut God out of that part of my life, he doesn't get to be a part of it. Imagine cutting off a human that you're married to or you're related to, just not letting them in. That hurts. God feels that. How painful is it when those closest to us don't let us in when they're hurting or when they're walking through a dark valley in their life. How sad and confusing is it when our family members, our children, our spouses won't talk to us when we know that something is wrong and they're wrestling with something. And how defeating is it when we feel shut out by the people we love when all we want to do is love them and comfort them. Can you imagine how God feels when we shut him out of the difficult seasons of our lives? Over the last few months, we've been studying the book of John. Uh, last week, Roger spoke through John 17. We learned three different concepts uh, that I know I was able to take home. Um, God, that Through Jesus' prayer, we saw that God's glory was the purpose of Jesus' life. We saw that obedience was the priority of his disciples. And we saw that unity is the plan for his people. That's, that's us. Unity is our plan, is God's plan for us. We are going to spend some time in John 18 today. If you don't have a Bible, we have a lovely lady who will give one to you. You can keep it. It is a gift for you. You can also follow along on the screens. All right, I'm going to pray. Father God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this place that 
we are able to come together and worship freely, without fear, that we are able to dig into your word and understand it and have access to as many translations as we need to be able to understand it. God, we thank you that because of your love, we are able to do this, and that because of your love, we have a purpose, uh, and we have hope. We love you. Be with us this morning. I pray that your spirit will be here. It's already here. I pray that it would continue to move in our hearts, um, and just, we love you. Amen. So chapter 18, Jesus is betrayed and arrested. This is a really great sermon topic for someone that doesn't like to feel. Um, But we're going to feel some things today. So we're going to start in verse 1 of chapter 18. We're just going to read through verses 1 through 9, and then we'll talk about it for a bit. So it says, When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas, the traitor, was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of these that you gave me. Let's go back to verse 4. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? There are some qualities about God that we get to share in. Um, We call these communicable attributes. Things like righteousness, holiness, mercy, love, grace. Then there are incommunicable, incommunicable attributes that separate us from God, things that we can't share in. One of these incommunicable qualities is omniscience. To be omniscient is having infinite awareness, understanding, and insight, being possessed of universal or complete knowledge. Pause. <clears throat> So God has the ability to know everything there is to be known. Jesus sacrificed his incommunicable attributes when he came to live on the earth as a man. He wasn't this psychic walking around all the time. He sacrificed that. That is something that separated him from his father while he walked on the earth. But through the Holy Spirit, Jesus was given glimpses into that attribute, into all of those attributes while on earth. And so this is one of those times where he got a glimpse into that omniscience, being able to know what was going to happen. In the village a lot, we talk about um, superpowers, and usually a, a good icebreaker question is, what, would, what superpower would you have? And we get different answers. It's fun to talk about it. Um, things like being able to fly and being invisible 
not having to bang my bed and my teeth brushing themselves. That's not my desire. That's some of your kids' desire. <laughs> but we talk about, you know, what could I do? What would I do if I had to choose what superpower I would have? That's really fun to imagine. But knowing everything is quite a burden to carry. When you know something that you can't share with other people, when you know something that's going to happen at your job that you feel like you can't go home and tell your spouse because you don't want to hurt them, um, when you know something that you need to share and you don't because it's hard, that's a, that's a heavy burden. But being Jesus, knowing how the story was going to end, I can't imagine the weight of that. And so in this circumstance, being omniscient meant that Jesus knew one of his closest confidants and friends would eventually premeditate and carry out a betrayal that would lead to his death on the cross. And what do we see in verse 4? He pursues his own betrayal head on. Let's go to verse 10. It says, Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear popular tale with these kids, you know. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink from the cup the Father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders it would be good if one man died for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, as did another of, this, of the disciples. That other disciple was acquainted with the high priest, so he was allowed to enter the high priest's courtyard with Jesus. And Peter had to stay at the gate. Then the disciple who knew the high priest spoke to the woman watching at the gate, and she let Peter in. The woman asked Peter, you're not one of that man's disciples, are you? No, he said, I am not. A few things here. Jesus, being all-knowing, is fully aware of two things. One, he's aware of the humanity of his friend. He knew Peter, who came to his defense in verse 10, would deny him only a short while later. And Jesus' character is revealed that even though he knows that out of the same mouth that we praise God and defend him will also come our denial of him. We might not do it with our words, but we do it with our actions. And despite our wavering commitment and inconsistent dependability, Jesus' love and commitment to us is unwavering. Jesus leaned into the mess of relationship by loving us. All the way in. Both feet. The second thing that I see here is that God, Jesus is fully aware of the reality of his fate. The New Living Translation says verse 11 like this. But Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? So at this time, he was fully aware of the suffering that he was going to endure. 
we start back, we start to back out as soon as we see the possibility of pain and suffering. And Jesus knew, yet he leaned in. As the chapter continues, Peter goes on to deny Jesus two more times as he stands by a fire keeping warm while the physical abuse that would mark Jesus' last leg on his journey to the cross began. He was found guilty in a bogus trial that was rid of evidence that found him guilty. He had no wrongdoing. And when Pilate gave his accusers a way for him to be free, they chose to pursue his death. Let's remember for a minute, you know, I, I know we've all seen the pictures of Jesus on the wall, petting the lamb or holding it awkwardly. Precious Jesus, right? We've all seen the Jesus that's strong enough to carry our burdens. We know the Jesus that um, makes money show up in our bank accounts. We know the Jesus that helps us cook a great meal when we don't know what we're doing. So we see God as this triumphant God and Jesus as this hero, um, this strong this strong being, which he is. He absolutely is. But that does not mean that he did not feel the pain of his suffering. And his willingness to endure that suffering was not lacking in the emotional, emotional turmoil and pain that we are familiar with as humans. And we see that in the book of Matthew, chapter 26, starting in verse 36. It says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter, the same Peter that we just talked about, he took Peter and two, the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. He may not have been content in pursuing the pain of the cross, but he did it, and he was willing to do it. So I've known for the last few months that I would be preaching today, and I also know that a couple weeks ago when Roger said, hey, are you good? Are you still good to preach? I said, yeah. I still didn't know what I was supposed to say. I knew John 18. I knew that was what I was going to talk about. And the only thing that I, that I knew besides the subject was that verse 11, I'm going to make a corny joke. Now I'm self-conscious about it because Roger called it corny. But this verse stuck out like your neighbor's grass that hasn't been cut in a month. That's funny. You're supposed to laugh. <laughs> it stuck out. I didn't know why. I don't like it. I don't want to talk about that verse. And again, I don't like to feel difficult emotions. Every time I read that chapter, that verse just stopped me in my tracks. Still didn't know what I was supposed to say along with that, so I was kind of stuck. 
Roger gave me a couple a couple options for him to preach, and I said, no, I need to preach. And so I was like, Jesus, I need to preach. What am I supposed to say? And last Sunday, the spirit moved, and I realized that the mental block that I couldn't get rid of was because I've not been leaning into the suffering in this season of my life. So for the past year or so, Corey and I have been trying to start a family. Um, the waiting is hard. The feelings of failure and doubt have been overwhelming. The questions from others about when we're going to have a baby um, is hard. Um, and the jealousy that stirs when other people that you love do start a family is just embarrassing. Um, but more so than all of that, the spiritual warfare of the enemy trying to weaken and come in between Corey and I and our marriage has been unrelenting. So while all of that is true, and that's our reality right now, God's word is also true. And Psalm 84:11 says, For the Lord God is our sun and our shield. He gives us grace and glory. The Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. And that's kind of been a theme of, I know, the last six months, because while I know that God understands how I feel and how we all feel, we're allowed to feel. If you didn't feel the emotions when you're having a hard day, I would be concerned, because we're not robots. We're not superheroes. We cannot handle everything that life brings our way, and that's okay, because you're not meant to do it by yourself, and we're especially not meant to do it without God. But knowing that this is right in front of us, that he's not going to keep good things from us, is more encouraging than what anyone could say. Because I think all of us have been in situations where someone tries to say something helpful and it's not that helpful, maybe. As loving as we are, we can't compare to the truth that comes with God's word. Um, so I want that to be encouraging to you. It's your kid's memory verse for the month of August. If, if we're missing something in our life, we don't not have it because God doesn't love us. We don't have it because God loves us with perfect love as our Father, and we don't have it for a reason. So in my time of reflection as I prepared and, and throughout the last year, there's a few different things that I've, that I've thought about um, in my own life as far as why I don't lean into the suffering, and I want to share that with you guys today. The first one is the lack of control that comes along with our suffering. It is super easy to say yes to suffering that we sign up for. Maybe it's a job that we know is going to be hard and difficult, but we want the job, and so we sign up and we suffer through it. Having kids, signing up for sleepless nights and blowouts, right after you get them dressed for family pictures in a white dress or whatever, any kind of blowout, really, you sign up for that. And so you are able to kind of compartmentalize, okay, there's poop now, but my precious baby's here, and it's okay. Um, moving. If you decide that you want to move and it's an adventure, that's great. And when you show up and the moving truck is not there or your house has holes in the ceiling or whatever, if you consent to that, it's a lot easier 
to deal with whatever suffering comes. I know that I'm in a room of people who don't consent to suffering in the Marine Corps or whatever branch you serve in because no one signs up to go to 29 Palms. Um, and so I think that's when it gets difficult, when we don't say yes to it, when we did not know it was going to happen. And, th- and it's not, it's, I don't know if I'm allowed to say it, but it sucks. The second is having to rely on other people. When we have to rely on other people, we tend to pull back. We don't want to lean in when it means that we're going to seem weak or broken or that we don't have all the answers. Even though we're all weak and broken and we don't have the answers, we decide we're the only one. It's not true. And it it can feel like sandpaper on our soul to have to say, I need help. Even if, whether it's a mom at home with kids all day long and you're about to lose it, you can say, I need help. I'm not talking like pit of depression help. I'm talking everyday life. I need someone to walk beside me. But can you think of anything more vulnerable than being nailed to a cross for a crime you didn't commit? Bleeding and naked, knowing that your breasts are numbered, like really numbered, not like birth to death numbered. But being vulnerable is a part of following Jesus. And we can't fully love each other if we refuse to be vulnerable. The last point um, that I think keeps us from leaning into the suffering is that we doubt that Jesus is enough. Raise your hand if you've ever tried to put a toddler to sleep. So I have the pleasure of doing that a few times a week. It really is a pleasure, but it's also a time. I italicize the word time in my notes. God has shown his goodness in this year of our life by bringing a two-year-old and her sweet mom into our home. Um, we, sh- we share life together, and Lizzie doesn't like bedtime. So I'm going to show you kind of what bedtime goes like. And I know many of you can relate to this. So you start by holding your child, rocking, walking around the house. And in our circumstance, there are tears. There are some screams, close to vomit screams. You're welcome for that. And so then Lizzie starts looking around the room, and she's desperately looking for what she needs to fall asleep. So it usually starts with, stuffed animal and I'm like okay you have your stuffed animal you're good you're good mommy will be home later you're good and then she's like I need my water this is a bad example because this doesn't leak but most of our cups leak and the cups usually right here so she needs her water and say okay you have your water take a sip we're good Just go to sleep. You'll be fine. When you wake up, mom will be here. She's like, I need my poo bear. 
Remember, I'm holding her standing up. And she's usually across like this. So I'm like, okay, it's fine. You're good. You got Pooh Bear. Pooh Bear loves you. Silly old Pooh. And then she needs her Bibles. Not just one. So couldn't find her second Bible, so jingle and joy, God's word. Two books, but there's more books because it's not just our Bible that we need, it's our other books that are within her reach. And then she decides that her stuffy needs a blanket and a pillow. So What's missing here is a 30-pound child (laughs) that's screaming and trying to drink her water (laughs) while I'm also singing. And three dogs, because I'm impulsive, are running around my ankles trying to bite me. And I'm just sitting there saying, baby girl, let it go. Lean in and go to sleep. You don't need all this stuff. Your water will be here tomorrow. Your stuffy is not real. She doesn't think that she can fall asleep with just me holding her. She doesn't believe it. And so all these things are are weighing us down when she really just needs to lean in, take some deep breaths. I'm rocking back and forth like I'm holding her. She needs to lean in, take some deep breaths, and let herself go to sleep. I can't help but think that God has the same type of thought as he watches us trying to hold on to the things we, we don't need instead of allowing him to be our comforter and our provider in times of suffering. Whether it's feeling like you can't provide without a certain job, but it's a terrible job. Feeling like you can't do it without a certain amount of money in your bank account, or providing your kids with a certain type of schooling. I mean, there's so many things we can put, we can fill in the blank, but we don't believe that he's enough. We might sometimes, but I don't know if, you, if you're like me, but it's hard to believe it all the time. So instead of fleeing from it, I want to encourage you to lean into it in a few different ways. The first way is in your relationship with God. Lean into the suffering in your relationship with God. Allow it to enrich your relationship with him. He's the only true source of comfort that's going to last. Dig into the word. Remind yourself of the truth. Our friends are limited in what they can say to encourage us, but God's encouragement is unlimited, and it's right in front of us. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to It's Google it. It's right in front of us, and I love that. We don't have to qualify. Um, it's right there. Another, another thing I want to be specific about is that there's no preliminary process 
where your, where your circumstance has to qualify as a suffering. I think a part of the block I had mentally is because I can list off five people who have waited longer than a year to start a family. I can list off people who thought they were starting a family and it didn't happen. I know that people have suffered so much more, but that does not mean that what I'm experiencing is not suffering. And so you need to know that too, that you don't have to, to justify it. You don't have to justify your pain or feel like it's not enough to talk about. We serve a kind and empathetic God, and he wants you to lean in in all circumstances, not just when you decide that it's enough to lean in. I also want you to lean into the suffering in your relationships with others. Like I said earlier, if we're not vulnerable, we're going to just keep talking about the weather, getting mad about politics, talking about where we're going to eat for lunch. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of those types of conversations. I'm fine with them if they segue into what's really going on in your life. And if you don't have a person here that you feel like you can do that with, send an email to info at restorejacks.church because we want you to connect with people that you can be supported by. We don't have all the answers, and sometimes we have dumb ones, but you should not, if you feel alone and you are part of Restore Church, something's wrong and we want to fix it because no one should feel that way. We are loved by a God that's given us a beautiful community and we have full access to it. It might be imperfect community, but it's there. I also want you to be encouraged to lean into the suffering in your environment. Like Roger said last week, Jesus' purpose was to bring God glory. And allowing his glory to be revealed in what you're experiencing by experiencing suffering and also proclaiming God is good is mountain moving. And so when you allow yourself to lean into that, you're going to bring him glory and people are going to see it. I'm going to nerd out for a minute. In the world of psychology, there is something called dialectical behavior therapy, and it aims to confront a certain thought process and disrupt it. So ideally, it would take two opposing thoughts, emotions, or experiences that are typically black and white, opposite ends of the spectrum, and allows them to coexist. This can be done by simply exchanging the word but in the middle of a sentence with the word and. So something that we hear a lot is the world is broken, but God is good. Just by saying the word but negates whatever we're talking about being broken. And God is good, but horrible things still happen. And they're allowed to be horrible, and God is still allowed to be good. And so if we say the world is broken and God is good, despite that brokenness, God is good and God is here in the brokenness. I shared some things about me at the beginning to use as examples now. I'm detail-oriented, and despite being able to pay attention to every detail and planning something, I still get overwhelmed, I lose focus, and I shut down. 
that does not mean that the detail-orientedness is less meaningful. The world is broken and God is still good. I don't know when this season of pain will end. Maybe that's how you're feeling right now, that you don't know when whatever you're experiencing is going to be over. And God will be here to care for you through it all. This season is draining and sucking the life out of me. And my life is abundant because of the position granted me through Jesus' death on the cross. And to use Jesus' own words, I am overwhelmed and full of sorrow to the point of death. And despite the pain, I will lean in to the suffering. In your relationship with God, in your relationship with others, and in your environment. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for this word that we have to experience emotions that you experienced as a man and eventually our Savior that would die on the cross. Um, thank you that we can feel that and we can come get a tiny glimpse of how you felt as the darkness filled the sky the day that you died for our sins. And God, I thank you for the encouragement that comes from your word as we lean into the suffering that we're enduring to have an, a better relationship with you, a more meaningful relationship with others, and bring more glory to your name on earth. We love you. Thank you for all that you do for us. Amen.